Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 619, Science Faction, the San Diego edition. Well, not all of San Diego, no, but certainly South Bay, yes. and, and, and to include downtown, which is still in the southern half of the city. Used to be mostly all of it, and then they got like the 858 and the 760, and now it's pandemonium. Yeah, we're throwing out a bunch of numbers to you, but I mean, like, because we are a street podcast, do you guys yes. remember in 8 Mile when th- there was a big deal about area codes in the rap competition? And they're yes. like, everybody from the 313, put your motherfucking hands up and follow me. We don't really have a good rhyme. Everybody from the 619 is from a place with the best Mexican food in the world. <laughs> like, there's not... That's, that's, it doesn't roll off the tongue. I don't know. It's kind of tight right there. That's that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, it's factually true. That's yes. right, Mexico. Yes. San Diego has the best Mexican food. <laughs> it's true. 619 specifically. It's very true. Very true. You can't get good Mexican food north of the 54. I've said that a thousand times. Yeah. My very rich, snobby uh, ex-wife, uh-huh. uh, who is from the rich 858 mm. area code, the private school uh-huh. area code. Yep. She said, uh, you also don't buy property below the eight as well. Oh. And that's, I guess that's just good. Hey, everybody, if you have wealth and you're looking to blow it in San Diego in the real estate market, nothing below the eight freeway, nothing. I will say that that is probably the dumbest real estate advice anybody has ever given, considering since you guys were married between then and now, the places that doubled or tripled their value were all of the lower income neighborhoods, whereas the super rich neighborhoods gained like 20%. So actually, no, (laughs) she gave the worst possible real estate advice. Well, maybe it was, you know, there's a certain untangible thing about real estate where you're living next to people who went to public school. Uh, And that's just, that's, ugh, ugh. It could have been. Ugh. It could have been. (laughs) The 619 is a Cholo-ass area code. That's why we're so street, yo. And speaking of the Cholo of this show, I, of course, am your high-socked host, Mr. Robert Timothy. And with me, as always, is my comedian, crouching in front of a low rider with his eyebrows shaved off and drawn back on, none other than Mr. Damien Mercado. Yes, yes, I did that because I used to uh, just get really sleepy and sleep with a sombrero leaning against a cactus, but I thought that was too stereotypical and not really representative of my heritage. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a negative example, so I just got really into lowriders and chicks with thick ass painted on eyebrows. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you want to get into some chicks with some thick ass painted on eyebrows, go ahead and check out our Patreon at Robert Timothy on Patreon, where you'll find an extra episode of this very show every single week. This Again, this isn't like a, a rarity. Every once in a while you get an extra episode or something. Every week you get Twice as much science faction, get another show every single week. You will find that and and plenty of super fly hyenas over there. Yeah. Don't satisfy yourself. Don't do the bare minimum by dating or even marrying a wera or wero. Yes. Uh, which is a, uh, for my non-Latin listeners, mm-hmm. which is a uh, white girl, white guy, yep. white boy. You got to get yourself a chola. Because if you need to know that you could be stabbed at any minute if you address this person wrong. Yes. And that's, my brother is with an Echola. Like, and he's a cop. So he, he just likes to live dangerously. I mean, I, the other side of that is you also know that if anybody fucks with you, they're getting stabbed. <laughs> no, that's my mom. Don't stab her. Please. <laughs> we both know you never say that. All right, let's move right on <laughs> to science articles. From molecules to particles, this 
his science articles. I've been encouraging my brother's wife to stab my mom through subtle hints. Did Teresa insult your food again? All oh, the things she says behind your back. You know, maybe it's not even going to hurt her. You know how it helps a baked potato if you poke a few holes in it before you put it in the oven? Maybe my mom's the same way. Maybe the holes will actually help her. <laughs> you know, the thing is, my mom is in your face, but she's never actually had a good stab, and so she's never known how to come correct. You could help her, my brother's wife. Just let her know that people are willing to stab her. And if I do it, like, it's because, like, what? Because, like, I've, because my, my therapist said not to, that's why I'm not going to. Uh, dear article number one, the news hiding in the news about ancient Chinese teeth. Picturing a news article dressed up like Waldo. Mm. And you have to, like, like, search through the entire Sunday edition. And then when you get to him, he's like, coronavirus is killing everyone. <laughs> Damn it. He's in the Garfield comic and he's shouting about COVID. <laughs> Oh, uh, dear. So this is a super interesting story for multiple reasons. I'm going to give you like 10 reasons why I think this is super interesting. One, you will get, you guys will know anytime there is a new species, like a new hominid species, even a potential new hominid species, I usually make a big deal about it. I talk about it. This is the opposite. Damien, as of this particular article, we have lost a potential new hominid species. Still exciting, but we have lost one. Well, that's good. I mean, to, to find out that, that you can eliminate one option is still exciting. You know, like if you're a detective, sometimes sure. getting uh, crossing off a suspect is just as exciting as getting a new suspect. I was going to say, if you're a detective, sometimes you also like to murder people to just, you know, eliminate them from the list of people who might be murderers. Yeah, but you do it on camera and you do it while beating a guy while shouting stop resisting. And there's just really just no consequences. <laughs> now, we have talked about some fossils that we're about to talk about now, but this is basically new results coming in. So this is a 30-year-old grouping of fossils that were finally analyzed in 2018. And we have covered them because they were a potential new species called the red deer people. Now, we knew they were around about 14,000 years ago in southern China. They had some gnarly fucking skulls morphology like it looks kind of like uh, the skull cap they have looks kind of neanderthal kind of denisovan like but we were like oh shit this kind of human like too i wonder if this is a hybrid i wonder if this whole nether hominid we've never seen before the brain itself looks small in weird ways just the skull morphology is off anyway we have called them the red deer we're people. talking about thick eyebrow ridges like like stereotypical caveman yeah like uh i'm, a, I'm in a geico commercial my eyebrow yeah. ridges are big yeah, and I okay. actually saw these fossils when they first were published years ago, and I looked at the skull morphology, and I was like, oh, that's something. Like, that's a hybrid, that's a Neanderthal, Denisov, that's something, but it ain't just Homo sapien. So they did the DNA analysis and came back just this week, and, and before this, we have just been referring to them as the red deer people. Maybe a mysterious hominid we don't know about, maybe a Denisovan, maybe a hybrid, we don't know, but it's just something. And the DNA came back, and it turns out... It's just a fucking homo sapien. It is just a straight up 14,000 year old human in Southern China doing humans in Southern China shit. And it is, there is nothing unexpected about that. Is he like the, like an elephant man of the tribe? Like, no. is this guy like, um... and this is what we were saying. We were looking at these skulls and I, listen, I'm, I am classically trained in human paleoanthropology. I was looking at these skulls and I was like, oh, that's definitely not a homo sapien. Like there is a very stark <laughs> difference between the skulls you are used to seeing in modern homo sapien populations. And these, even in ancient homo sapien populations, there's just, there's just, just massive variation. And something we have found over time is this kind of correlates. And I was going to bring this up a little bit later with, 
with something going on in the early Americas where we're finding really diverse skull types and people are thinking, oh man, maybe we're getting different immigrants from Australasia or something and all these other places. And it turns out it was just, they were all, you know, same genetic lineage, same everything. They just had this wider, wider range of skull morphology that does not exist anymore. Like skulls just looked different and not different in the same way in this wide range of different ways back in the day. And we don't know if there's a genetic predisposition to that, if they're evolving to their environment. We don't know what it is, but whether it's all of the early skulls uh, of North and South America still being part of the Beringial migration, or if it's about this particular skull in ancient China looking super different, the Red Deer people skulls, it turns out these are just straight homo sapiens with interesting skull morphologies which is interesting on its own and some very interesting genetics because this shows a group of homo sapiens that occupied southern china uh, and they were there by 14,000 years ago and then hugged the coast went up north then combined with a group that they had been split off from from a long time, basically these Northern Caucasus Siberian groups, those two combined to create a whole new genetic lineage, which became the Beringians, a bunch of people who lived in the now submerged continent in Beringia, a small, 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 tiny percentage of which then went on to become all living Native Americans. What's interesting is some of the headlines on this article will be like, ancestor to Native Americans found. And it's like, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. This is part of the same genetic lineage that ended up moving north and becoming about 50% of the Beringial DNA and blah, blah, blah. This is long after. The Native Americans have been in the Americas for at least 7,000 years at this point. This thing is not an ancestor of Native Americans. I can't tell you how wrong all those particular titles were, all those particular headlines, with the exception of the fact that it undoubtedly contributed to later what we now still somewhat call Native American migrations, like Eskimo Inuit migrations, which only happened about a thousand years ago. I mean, they were going there the same time the Icelandic people were going there, right? And so in that, I guess it contributes to Native American populations, but no, not the main sub-Arctic Native American groups, uh, which all share that, that beringial DNA that had made it into the Americas long before this person was ever born. Do you think that uh, you, you said uh, coast huggers or, yeah. or they hug the coast coast huggers? Do you think there were conservative, older, early proto-humans who were like, oh, you damn coast huggers and you're trying to find new food resources along along the, the water? Um, <laughs> that's a, all right, yeah, I admit it, stupid joke, but we're going with it. <laughs> also, you mentioned that you were a classically trained archaeologist. Does this yeah. also suggest the existence of a punk archaeologist or a yes. jazz Archaeologist? No, there's a lot of people. I mean, uh, a lot of archaeologists that I work with in the field are not classically trained. They are either people who, you know, maybe they went to JC and then they did a few field schools and then they did this, this, and that. <laughs> and like, frankly, there's not. So they're punk. Yeah, they're punk as fuck. I mean, and and I was referring to human paleoanthropology. There's only I don't know a dozen like real established human paleoanthropology programs in the country that that do that kind of stuff. That tr that you know, like teach you know a standard classic version of, of human paleoanthropology. So like, it would not be the majority of people who are working in archaeology. Do you think like, uh, I mean, a big part, I mean, I've just never really gotten into jazz archaeology because they say it's about the species that you don't find. Mm, yeah, that's true. And, and that, that just seems like bullshit. I, I it technically am a jazz archaeologist. I haven't found any species. And I'm freestyling like crazy. I don't like it because I feel like every older person who claims to love that particular type of archaeology is just like inherently a like personalityless douchebag. Like that that is what I don't like about jazz archaeologists. <laughs> I got into it for the heroin. I got into it for good reasons. 
very, very interesting because this, again, we can say this takes a potential new species, hominid species, off the table. There is no red deer people as a separate species. That's just, you know, a group of homo sapiens, normal homo sapiens. But it does tell us that there we should expect a lot of skull morphology differences and a lot of different things. And it also brings back an issue I have talked a lot about before, which is this kind of somewhat artificial speciation we do. It's not so much a deal at this time period we're talking about 14,000 years ago, but if we go back into the Pleistocene where we talk about having, you know, a a, a bunch of different hominids running around at once. We sometimes will group these and say, this is Homo ergaster, this is Homo habilis, this is blah, 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 blah. And in reality, most of those were probably like a continuous breeding group with really strong morphological differences, just like we are seeing here among Homo sapiens 14,000 years ago. And so uh, there's a lot of, there's this big push in kind of like this anti-speciation idea of taxonomies for hominids where we're trying to say like, maybe we shouldn't classify these as Homo erectus and this is Homo ergaster and stuff, if, you know, we find certain instances where if we would have found these two skeletons in different places, we'd have called them different species, but we're found right next to each other. So we're like, oh, it must be a family with people who look different. And so like, maybe we need to stop speciating taxonomic fossils from the past. And this is a good reminder of why that's so dangerous, because for the past 10 years or so, we've all got looked at these skull caps and all of us people who supposedly knew what they're talking about were like, fuck, that is definitely not a Homo sapien. And it turns out it was just a Homo sapien. I mean, like if you subtract 14,000 years of domestication and look at a skull, yeah, you'll, you'll see some differences. Yeah. Like, um, turns out like not just walking up and smashing somebody's face because they looked at you the wrong way, just years of reading that out will change the thickness of the skulls that get smashed. Yeah. And there's testosterone differences and there's Fox P genes for language that are different and there's genetic drift. There's a bunch of stuff. You're saying like, so that like their capacity for language was far inferior. So like, you'd be like the, uh, idiocracy where like, we're just talking like this and everybody thinks we're talking talking like uh like effeminate fancy boys yeah if we yeah that's exactly what would happen i am an effeminate fancy boy and i'm not just saying that because my niece painted my nails this weekend and i look fabulous it's super interesting because you know we we can now look at that and say hey we were wrong but we we're wrong in such an exciting way and by the way i always like to point this out to people if you haven't caught on like human evolution that's my deal like that's my jam i love that shit Something that was really interesting was just proved wrong. Something we have talked about on this show. We have discussed the red deer people, how I thought they were a different species. I found out I was wrong today. Am I pissed? Fuck no. I made it the number one story on my fucking podcast because I'm super excited about being wrong because that's what fucking science is about. That's what people who say, like, science is an, is an ideology. No, science says when it's wrong. Science is the ideology of wanting to make, of wanting to know the truth. That's It's not even an ideology. It's a process, right? Science is a process yeah. that we go through. And if we do it correctly, it is, it is self-correcting. That doesn't mean it never makes an error, but it means that we get closer and closer to the best possible knowledge we can get to using the tactic if we use it right. And there are some things science will never be able to answer. If I propose like a solipsistic proposition to you and say like, uh, you know, we're all brains in a vat and there is no real world. Science could never actually disprove that, right? Like the, the simulation theory. Science can never disprove it because anything you input you could just say well this is part of the system this is the matrix that i'm seeing so therefore it is blah 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 so like there are questions that science will never be able to answer for us so it's not like we're saying it's an ideology it's going to lead us to all the truth all we're saying is it's a methodology for getting the best answers we can get to because some questions we can't even get to any answers and we know that from the beginning uh, and i'm sure uh, i know you guys have heard this i've heard it because one of my hobbies is comedy 
and uh, you get a lot of very dumb people who think they're much smarter than they are. That is true. So I've heard countless times, you know, the, you know, science doesn't know what it's talking about. You know, science, the science said that smoking tobacco was good. It's, and I'm sure our listeners have heard some idiot say something equivalent to this. My you know, favorite part of this said, is based on the accent, I know exactly which comedian you are in, you are mimicking here, and it's fairly accurate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you can hear a dumb New Jersey guy? <laughs> I wanted him to come on this podcast uh, so that he could basically just spout his nonsense and get shut down in a public forum so that our listeners would know how to deal with an idiot. But that's the smartest thing that motherfucker did was say he didn't want to be on this podcast. <laughs> Very, very, very interesting. Such a such a fucking cool discovery. So interesting to see that just huge phylogenetic differences in the same species running around. That is so neat. And there's a lot to understand about that that we don't know yet. And, and hopefully we will soon. All right. On to article number two. Are Americans more or less likely to help a stranger now than in the 1950s? Uh, absolutely. Now. I mean, like... The people in the 50s who were so good, quote-unquote, couldn't be bothered to help somebody of a different skin color, I don't know, uh, escape poverty. So. Well, that is true. You you certainly had a bunch of racism going on there. But, like, the casual racism yes. that, like, envelops a society where, like, quote-unquote, good people will still drop an N-bomb sure. and treat people like shit. Sure, but if you control for race, so you're dealing with individuals being asked questions about people of the same race as them, what's your answer now? I would say that people are more likely to do it now. I know that there was uh, the uh, that 50s generation did have a strong sense of community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people either came back from or were somehow hurt by World War II at that point. And I think there was a different idea of like, well, we're all Americans. We're all in this together. You know, like some of us died in Normandy and some of us were sitting here collecting aluminum scrap, but we were all pitching in and like it's only five years later. But at the same time, they were like, this was like, I feel like this was the time when you as the uh, captain of the football team could just beat the shit out of a nerd in front of the principal. Yes. And nothing would happen. Well, yeah. So like, I feel like there was a, like World War Two and its take on masculinity and its um, uh, downplaying of violence uh, amongst the uh, the people who came back, the, amongst the PTSD people who came back home. I think that the, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was a time when you could beat your wife and nobody would say shit. True. You could beat strangers yeah, it was a great time. and nobody would say shit. Or people of a different race yeah. and nobody would say shit. So I'm going to say no. <laughs> now, David, I will remind you of one of my, my age-old adages, which is everybody talks shit about bullies, but every conspiracy theorist you ever met was just a dumb person who wasn't bullied enough to know that they're dumb. So keep in mind that whole generation of like who became the super conspiracy theorist didn't come until generations a, a generation or two later, seeming to imply that the beating up of dumb kids in the 1950s was done properly to avoid the conspiracy theorist future. But, you know, it's a certain don't prescribe bullying as a as a as some sort of universal cure. -all. It doesn't you like if I just, hey, you're gay, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Yes, that doesn't stop somebody from thinking they're smarter. What True. you mean is a specific type of bullying that comes from a teacher or educational person no. who just makes you feel dumb. No, you need somebody who's like slightly smarter and a lot bigger than you in any given class to just walk around, mock you while you're being dumb in class and then slap you around a few times on the yard so that everybody around knows that the dumb person with the bad ideas gets has bad things happen to him boom eliminate conspiracy theories 
so what you're saying is like we, like <laughs> you need some sort of uh, uh, like ogre from Revenge of the Nerds, but a but a flowers for Algernon yeah, ogre. Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't have to be super smart. He has to be ten percent smarter than the dumb people, right? Like he like he doesn't have to be that good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, you're right. That you know, like because in most small towns, you know the you know it's it's the biggest toughest guy, right. the, the captains of the football team who go on to enforce yeah. everything. But you're right. If, if we could somehow mold that for good, yes, you know we're like the the big guy in the football team's like um, everybody needs to get vaccinated now. I'm tired of uh, I'm tired of non science loving people coming in here trying to tell us hard working country folk. Oh, dear. So that we need to die for the economy. So a new paper looked at Americans' willingness to help strangers over the period of time of 1956 to 1917. Now, again, I am pointing out that this ends in 17, not 19, where a lot of stuff started changing after that. So just keep that in mind. So what did they look at? They looked at what not somebody's self-reportedness, not somebody saying like, yeah, I would help people or I wouldn't help people because that doesn't really work and doesn't necessarily work in longitudinal studies. They actually looked at a bunch of previous science research. They actually did a meta-analysis of 511 studies conducted between 56 and 2017 with 660 unique samples and an effect size involving more than 63,000 participants. So I'm going to read from the article here. We found no evidence of a decline in cooperation over the 61-year period. Instead, we found a slight increase in cooperation over time. In addition, some societal indicators, income inequality, social wealth, urbanization level, and percentage of people living alone, measured 10 to 5 years prior to measures of cooperation were found to be positively associated with cooperation, suggesting that there may be potential societal underpinnings for the increase in cooperation. These findings challenge the idea that social capital and civic cooperation among strangers has declined in the United States over time. Now, I will say this, a lot of earlier studies did indicate they had declined over time, and all of them were self-reported and that was the problem because if i talk to somebody and say are you more willing to help somebody now than you are 10 years ago you have a bias in your head where you imagine yourself as the person who's sitting right here and that person in the past as somebody else and then you think oh well what would that person do i was a better person back then i'm kind of a piece of shit now it's probably a better guy back then yeah i'd help more people like it, it has a fatal flaw in how research was collected, which is why this particular group said, no, we want to look at the actual data. We want to look at reportings done through independent research in those time periods. Somebody was answering that question in 1972, in 1986. You know, they were answering those questions. You can go back to that particular study, pull that out and get contemporary information with how they feel at the time. And we did find that people are less likely to help strangers. I think if, if all the baby boomers died today... Because, you know, they are the me generation. Mm -hmm. You know, they are the generation that destroyed every safety net that they had. They are the greed is good generation. They are the generation that saw the most obvious con man in history and said, let's fucking elect them. They are an unempathetic generation. A lead-poisoned, unempathetic generation as a whole. I really feel like millennials and the generations that came after them, even Gen X, even though they're the, you know, Beavis and Butthead, yeah, whatever generation, has more empathy. I I, I just think if we, I mean, boomers are a huge cohort, so, you know, but it's, it also, it's hard, they're a big section of the pie. It looks like what's interesting, too, is that we're changing how that is displayed. So if you look at a lot of that data from the 50s, What's happening is when you talk about helping a stranger, you're talking about helping a stranger in your own community, right? And so people are more willing to lend out a hand, even if they don't know a person in general, because, 
you know, hey, we're both from the same hometown, we're both doing the same thing, blah, 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 blah. What we're seeing more of is an encompassment of people moving to urban areas, because obviously in the past 60 some odd years, there's been a huge increase in the urban population, huge decrease in the rural population. And in those, we're seeing a higher level of a willingness to help strangers in urban environments, meaning that this person has very little in common with me. This person is not from my same hometown because urban environments are a conglomeration of a lot of different hometowns. This person did not have my same elementary school teacher. This person did not walk down the same main street I did or go to the same store I did, but I am more likely to help this total and complete stranger, even though they're so much less like me. And so maybe what we're doing, because again, it's not like there's yeah, a city huge... folk are better than country folk. I, I say that a thousand times. <laughs> maybe yeah, they absolutely are. Maybe it's not like there's a huge, because it doesn't look like there's a huge increase in the, in the levels of willingness to help, but it looks like it's changed the group that it will be, meaning that people in the cities have started adapting more of that life, that, that uh, ideology and expanding the group by which they will help, right? So, so the history of society is basically expanding your circle of people you believe you want to help or be like you, you know? At some point it was just your family and your clan and your whatever, and as you get bigger and bigger, your circle is now your town or your city or your country or the world. And maybe what this is, is basically like a social expansion of who we put in that circle as urbanized people that lead to a attitude of, yeah, I will help this person who is a total and complete stranger. Yeah, I, I don't know. How does how does the decline of religion play into this? Because I know for a while, yeah. at least in some more rural places, you know, uh, you know, a, a good Christian in the 50s might open their home to another good sure. Christian, you know, and totally. things like that. And I know that the church, uh, church attendance and its importance in society has obviously, and for good reason, dwindled. Sure. Uh, especially in the last 20 years. Yeah. I, I'm with you here. And I think that I think that the cities have this kind of uh, maybe moralist, you know, we don't need a God to tell us to help other people. Sure. Attitude that's kind of been, and especially as uh, more of the younger people from uh, uh, gener the millennials and, uh, well, millennials have already aged, but Gen Z come up age. Yeah. like, And it's, it's interesting because it kind of, it fits into this category of like misconceptions we have about things that were going on in the past. Like the 1950s is, is a great example of this. I was recently listening to an economics podcast where they're discussing how, you know, if you talk to anybody and say, when do you think the middle class in America was the strongest? Almost everybody will say like the 1950s. The 1950s was when the unions were coming. It's when people had good jobs. You could, you know, afford things with one house. And if you look at the actual- Is it the 70s or the 90s? It's now. If you look at the actual data <laughs> in every measure of middle class success, we're not only, you know, better than the 1950s, we're two to three fold better. It is it is not even a competition. It is a high school football team versus the fucking Patriots. It is not even a competition in terms of middle class being well off. That's insane because all the social safety nets have gone. Like, like there's no more retirement. There's no more pension. Sure. There's no more security. Uh, the, the things that, uh, uh, not only that, but like property uh, and, and all the other ways right. that we manage wealth. You know, th there's an but income we have a, inequality that's growing. The middle class is dying. I, I, we, that's what I thought. We have a misconception of what the past was like. And what we don't realize is there was far fewer of those great jobs than we think there were. They didn't actually pay nearly as much as we think they do relative. Like relative to your average middle class worker in the 1950s, adjusted for inflation, everything, the whole nine yards, we make two to three times as much, right? It's not even close. Whoa. Yeah. 
But in this society yeah. where rent, where people are being gouged for rent and they can't, but that doesn't save mean anything. what they mean. That doesn't mean what they make. We make two to three times as much. You're right. Rent is more more expensive, but the fact of the matter is, there's just more costs, right? Nobody in 50, nobody in 1950 had a cable bill, had a cell phone bill, had the, you know there were there's more things we buy. We spend more money on it. Things like cars, like in the 1950s, if you bought a car, the average lifespan when you bought a brand new car was three years before that was in a junkyard. Three years. So that makes sense. So they were cheap. Cars were dirt fucking cheap. They're not expensive. They're expensive now because they last 30 years, right? And so you, you have a bigger nut on it. But we had this imagination of what the 1950s was when in fact, it really wasn't that. And one of the big differences is people in the 50s didn't know that. Again, we talked about them coming back from World War II. They just came back from World War II and they're like, man, this is great. I'm not getting shot at. I live a great fucking life. But nobody really knew any different. And because of social stigmas going around, you just lived in your Levittown fucking suburbs and you saw the people coming home and they had a decent car and they had a fucking chicken in the pot. And so you said high five. Nowadays, we feel like we're worse off because we have social media where you can get on there and see that that person who, you know, is the same age as you and doesn't do much more than you is driving a Lamborghini because they're on YouTube and blah, 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 blah. There is a differential feeling, but the math is stark and, and certain. And so when we look at that, we see these perceptions of the past. This is one of them. This perception that the 1950s was a super kind time where somebody was way more likely to go out and help a stranger, which has been supported by self-reported data for the past 50 years. But when you look at the actual hard factual data, it's not the same way if you talk to somebody from today and you ask them how they feel as a middle class person, how they. I, I, but, but I mean, like, I guess I guess like the, some of this stuff, I, you know, I want to I want to read it because some sure. of this stuff is just just hard because I know that like before you could be poor. Yeah. And be a homeowner and yes. own property. Yes. And but there's you're talking no about, fucking way you're talking about that different, could happen But you're today. talking about different things, though, <laughs> because what you're talking about is a, di a displacement between certain real estate markets. We happen to live in a very expensive one and wages. That's the diff that's different than your wage increase over time. And your real estate market is far different than the entire market overall. So you can't judge on that one specific thing. But like, here's a good example. Somebody in the 1950s, if your total paycheck, usually just a single paycheck, but sometimes two, your total paycheck, somewhere around 40 some odd percent of that needed to go to food for you to feed your whole family. Now imagine a middle-class family probably pulling in, you know, hundred and some odd thousand dollars now. Imagine them spending 40 grand a year on food. That's insane. That would never happen, right? Like we, we just, things are different in terms of relative costs. Food has gotten much cheaper. Real estate has gotten much more expensive. Cars have gotten more expensive in upfront costs, but lower in replacement costs because they last 30 years. Like, so those markets but, but, fluctuate. But, 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 but property, but like food isn't, isn't an investment that you make that you hand down to your children and, yeah. is, and is considered generational yeah. wealth property sure as shit is sure. and the fact that we can't buy that anymore uh means that it's killing the middle class or at least is a is you a can't albatross do it here it. right but like there's nothing stopping like if you make enough money like you would to buy a house from the 1950s if you were like bought enough bought a house in wyoming or something and rented it out you could still pass that on to your kids it's just expensive to live in an expensive place it's still cheap to live in wyoming yeah, I, I mean, but like that wasn't always the case. You could get a job. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I've, I drive past the poor Mexican American neighborhood houses that yeah. my relatives grew up in. I was and they were like, I was like, wow, do they do they have like a decent job? No, they had a shit job. They yeah. just but that, because it was the time they could afford a property. Yeah, that has and, to do with <laughs> with real estate differentiation, not wages, which you know apply to to the market more broadly. But super interesting, and we have these misconceptions about the past because we just kind of think about things and don't critically analyze them and don't look at the actual hard data sometimes. 
sometimes, which is why it's good to pull back and do this every once in a while and realize that it was probably eh, not the greatest time living back then. I mean, uh, well, I mean, it also matters. I think that when a lot of people look back and like think of the fifties, I think they're thinking of like being a white guy in the fifties. Yeah, you know, it was sure. different if you were a black family, a yeah. Latino family, you know, like like an Asian family in yeah. the fifties. You you know, they're probably like, yeah, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> but. I always love when they pull out, like, we're the greatest generation. We stopped Hitler. And I'm like, I don't know what fucking generation was that guy from. Sounds like it balanced out. It sounds like your greatest generation had Hitler in it. (laughs) You guys motherfucking leveled out to a generally shitty generation. Yeah. Tell me, uh, what percentage of the country was pissed off about uh, uh, landmark civil rights legislation? Right. Yeah, because uh, I mean they're part of that generation too. Yeah, so. I love that that like yearning for the fifties where you're like, yeah, 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 we 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 beat black people when they asked for rights, and we uh, on average gave a guy like a year and a half in jail for murdering his wife uh, in cold blood. But people wore blazers on a cross country flight, so it was it was a good time, man. It was a uh, it was a nice time. And it was okay to kick people for protesting a pointless war in Vietnam, a country that most people had never fucking heard of at this point. Oh, dear. Thank you, audience, for coming back for Science Faction 619, where you learned all about how we finally discovered what the Red Deer people really are, but the headlines are lying about it, and how Americans are more likely to help a stranger now than in the 1950s. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction. 620. Hi, Damien from Science Faction here. You know, we joked a lot today, but one thing I want to be serious about, boomers are fucking trash. The world will be better off when they're gone. Not all, you could love your aunt or uncle, they're probably cool people. But as a whole, let's Thanos them and save the planet. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. (laughs) 